Hello and you are very welcome back to Shattered Lives. I'm Kieran Bradley. Week 11 of the murder trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch is well underway in Dublin Special Criminal Court. Mr Hutch is accused of the murder of David Byrne at the Regency in February 2016. It is a charge that he denies. Being tried alongside Mr Hutch are two men, Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy. The state alleges that Messrs Murphy and Bonney provided vehicles for the Regency Hotel murder. Both men deny the charges against them. To bring us up to date with the goings-on is our chief reporter for the Irish Daily Star, Paul Healy. Paul, how you keeping? I'm not too bad. Good, good, good. I, I must confess, I, I believe in being honest to our listeners, so I will say that I was there for about three quarters of today, I would say. I had to... Uh, I had to make a dart at home uh, unexpectedly uh, this afternoon, but uh, I'm up to speed uh, as to what I missed. Um, so I will say that, uh, I, as I said, I just believe in being honest about that fact that I wasn't there uh, for the latter half of today. But um, look, as we flagged yesterday, uh, Sarah Sked uh, was giving her evidence today uh, she is. She was a, a with on Garda as a senior uh, analyst, um, and she analysed uh, some of the CCTV footage in the case and the phone data, the mobile phone data. So we spoke about this kind of at length already um, this week in terms of all of the cell sites that the the phones that were seized from Jonathan Dowdall, Patrick Dowdall, and Paul Murphy and Jason Bonney, where they pinged off. Uh, across the country, four different counties. So she was going to give her evidence in relation to that today. Uh, but there was still some tidying up in the morning uh, before we got to that. And a couple of just interesting tidbits that I think are worth speaking about. Um, I think primarily the most interesting thing that's come out uh, this morning that we're obviously going to hear a bit more about maybe next week or possibly tomorrow, we'll, we'll see how it goes, is in relation to Jason Bonney. Um, so just to remind people that Jason Bonney is on trial and he is is not accused of the murder, but he's, he's accused of facilitating it by using his BMW. So it's a BMW X5 um, and it's alleged that he drove to St. Vincent's GAA Club by the Regency Hotel and that he uh, helped uh, aid the, the gang in their escape. And he was part of a convoy of vehicles. So Paul Murphy is alleged to have been driving his Toyota Venza's taxi um as part of that convoy as well and they both deny that so um what i found interesting today was that they they, they put uh garda michelle Purcell back on the stand so she's been leading the trial through the cctv footage um and she was uh clarifying elements of that and in the course of that the defense for jason bonnie that's john fitzgerald senior counsel um he put it to the witness about uh, the movements of that BMW X5 on the CCTV footage. And he put it to uh, Garda Purcell that uh, Jason Bonney is not identifiable in any of the footage apart from uh, at his home in Drumnye Wood in Port Marnock um, at the start of the day, the beginning of the 5th of February that morning. Um, he can be seen in that footage and it identified by Gardaí, but they did not identify, Garda Michelle Purcell, the, none of the Gardaí identified Jason Bonney in any of the other footage pertaining to this BMW X5 uh, where it ends up in St. Vincent's GAA later that day. Um, so I thought that was interesting, but then he said, look, our case is going to be that the vehicle was driven south of Newbrook Avenue by his father, and he is seen doing so. And he put it to Garda Michelle Purcell that 
uh, that Jason Bonney's father is actually seen in the footage south of Newbrook Avenue driving this BMW X5. Um, but Garda Purcell said she can't confirm that. And it, it, it that was sort of um, stopped there because I think it's going to be indicated later by uh, John Fitzgerald who have uh, an opportunity to defend his client in great detail. Uh, I suppose we're going to hear more detail about that, but that is the first time to my knowledge um, that there's been any, any allegation as to someone else driving the BMW X5 other than Jason Bonney. And specifically, uh, his allegation is that it was his father driving it um, in the footage uh, that, that we see south of Newbrook Avenue. It's important to state that that's what they said, south of Newbrook Avenue. So it wasn't stated in court that the allegation is that the father was driving the vehicle right up to the Vincent's GAA club. So uh, there's not necessarily a suggestion that he took it all the way there, but in that there is footage south of Newbrook Avenue where apparently, according to Mr. Fitzgerald, uh, Jason Bonney's father is identifiable in the footage. But the guard, uh, Michelle Purcell, said she couldn't confirm that. So I thought that was fascinating. We'll probably hear a bit more about that um, when it comes to the, the maybe the final argument by the defence for Jason Bonney. And then also, as we know, Bonnie has an alibi witness uh, that he wants called, uh, again, to corroborate um, his claim that he was on a building site at the time. So we, we've yet to hear more about that. Um, but in in relation to, uh, to, to Garda Purcell, then, she was also challenged about something kind of minor and technical um, in that uh, there was a specific portion of footage in Buckingham Village um, where she had said that it was running uh, three minutes and... 21 seconds or something ahead or something um but it it actually turned out that it was one minute and 40 something seconds and she wanted to correct the record on that and paul murphy's uh counsel kind of grilled her on that uh bernard condon kind of saying how is it only now that you've realized you've made a mistake and you know saying this is a very detailed case and now you're putting it to us at the 11th hour that uh, you had a, a specific detail about the time on the cctv being wrong and Miss Justice Tara Burns expressed concern about that as well, that are we going to have to, you know, when we're going through all of the details of the case and trying to come up with a judgment, are we going to have to correct that now ourselves, that the timing on that CCTV footage is actually wrong? Um, and prosecuting counsel Sean Galan then said, no, look, uh, they, they will correct that on a USB that will be furnished to the court uh, so the judges won't have to worry about having the, the timings on the CCTV wrong. So these are just little bits and bobs that came up in the morning. Um, and then Sarah Sked, she was uh, sworn in. So just to give a bit of detail on her background, she she was at the time of the investigation involved with the uh, the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau. And she's a senior uh, crime analyst um, and she was tasked uh, in, in February of 2016 um, with investigating elements of this investigation. So I'll just get the actual... Sorry about this. Um, yeah, so she was she was basically tasked with uh, analysing uh, mobile phone data and uh, CCTV footage and anything else that, that might be put to her in relation to the case. Um, we already talked about in detail earlier this week about all of these cell site areas across the country. So we got much more detail on that today in terms of the uh, the relevance of them. So so Miss Sked, she she was tasked with analysing uh, the journey that was made by Jonathan Dowdall and his father Patrick on the 4th of February, the day before the Regency shooting. 
So the two of them went uh, from the Navan Road area in Dublin and they drove up to Straban. Now we've heard Jonathan Dowdall's claim that uh, they were meeting uh, Republicans up there, this Kevin Tyrone character, but he was a no-show. And that the, the Hutches, Patrick, uh, Patsy Hutch, sorry, had asked him to try and broker some sort of a peace deal, try to bring about peace. Um, this was the day before the Regency, but Dowdall subsequently has claimed that he felt he was being used as a ghillie. Um, and on, the, on that actual journey home, on that journey home, they, uh, the, his father got a phone call from Patsy Hutch um, asking him to book the room in the Regency. And then later that night, they went um, and, and his father paid for the room in cash. And that room was later used by flat cap Kevin Murray. Um, so that's the relevance of that. And basically, then it seems a bit tedious and boring. And to be honest, it kind of was. But when I'm uh, putting it into context, it's easier to explain to people. Um, and again, it's fascinating, I suppose, for nerds like me or anyone that's interested in the ins and outs of the case. I mean, you have uh, from the beginning of the day right up to the end of the day, um, minute by minute, really, in terms of phone calls, texts and Internet data uh in relation to both of these men and also then Jonathan Dowdall's wife, Patricia. I'm not going to go through all of this, but their, their, their journey began early in the day. And you can see that the, the data uh, was pinging off cell sites uh, around the Navan road area. And then into the Phoenix park in this and right up through the M one northbound all the way up uh, to Straban. And then there was, information and uh, data that that showed that Jonathan Dowdall's phone was UK roaming indicating around the time that the car was in the vehicle was in Straban um and then there's there's data that shows phone calls between Patricia Dowdall Jonathan Dowdall and then Patrick Dowdall uh, around the time that she was tasked with ringing up the Regency Hotel and there was also data pinging uh, that, that indicated that she had made a phone call to the Regency Hotel. She booked the room initially, then Patrick Dowdall went and paid for it in cash. That's how that allegedly worked. So basically all of this data shows, correlates with these claims that these phone calls were made at specific times during the day and charted the journey right up north and right back to the Navan Road area again. So it was just, from that standpoint, interesting to show technically, you know, rather than just doubt all say so, uh, and um, the, the the phone data from their texts, from their phone calls, and from their internet usage on the phone, uh, it, it's fascinating because it, it, the guards kind of essentially track you um, based off those things because of where your phone is pinging off these masts all the way. And she then drew up two different maps of their journey, uh, she was able to draw their journey to and from based off where their phones were pinging across the country, across these four counties. So that was fascinating. Yeah, and um, uh, obviously all of these data points, I suppose, need to be entered into into the court. Um, yeah. And and has that all finished now? I mean, uh, you know, has she gone through the kind of the rigmarole of where every everyone was at each time, or have we got a little bit more to go? We, we've got more to go. So she was also uh, speaking about the CCTV footage in relation to the vehicles driven allegedly by Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy and, and went through how basically uh, the, these, the movements of these cars through Dublin City, both before and after the Regency shooting, um, 
she referred to a flat cap male that's how she described him on the cctv footage um this this particularly can be seen in the saint vincent's gaa area so you can see a, a flat cap man walking and in, getting into this bmw x5 at the saint vincent's gaa club but this person isn't identifiable um and neither is jason bonnie but what's interesting about that is obviously we know there was a flat cap male um Kev, kevin murray you could surmise we don't know for a fact but you could a flat cap male you could surmise that perhaps kevin murray was the person who got into the bmw x5 that the state says jason bonnie was driving can you give us a sense uh are you sorry you're seeing these cctv images in in the court right yes yes you're you're seeing these yeah so so what what kind of quality are, are they i mean I, i'm not looking for you to kind of confirm or deny that you know that they are who they say they are but i mean is it reasonably easy to 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 see who is who is well, where? I, I it's important to clarify that at this particular ju- juncture that I I wasn't actually in the courtroom, but I can I I can recall uh, that we were told that Miss Sked was actually furnished with stills of the CCTV rather than um, the footage itself. So I anticipate that that's probably what the court was shown. Uh, if it was shown the footage at all, these would have just been stills that were furnished on a PDF document. Um, so I can't really, I can't really speak to the detail that was shown there. Um, but we have heard that, that Jason Bonney wasn't identifiable uh, at this particular point in, in time. Uh, the only thing is that they, that we, they charged it, the movement of his vehicle from, from his house, all the way to to this location so they're alleging it was him but he he is not identifiable and obviously this flat cap male isn't identifiable uh in the footage either and uh, anything else particularly notable from from today yeah well again it's it's kind of re- retarding old territory but you know this footage also shows the hit team the alleged hit team running up this alleyway uh and into the saint vincent's gaa uh, car park uh, and that there were six of them and and this is they they went to the Charlemagne estate and burnt out the silver transit van it's it's old territory as i say but again it's just showing i suppose the detail of the investigation they have to go over it in relation to miss sked's evidence i think they originally initially thought that they were going to be done with this uh, witness that it was going to be done and dusted today but it isn't um so we're going to hear some more tomorrow It'll probably wrap up then tomorrow in terms of the prosecution's case. Um, and then we're very much into the, the the final days of the trial next week. Okay, excellent. Well, listen, that, that was uh, very interesting. And thank you for your Catholic candor at the start of that to, uh, <laughs> to say that you weren't there. The guilt was uh, weighing <laughs> no, heavily I just on. Say, I, I... I'll always be honest about when we're when we're there. I was there for, for uh, as I say, most of today, but uh, I, the latter half of it today, uh, unfortunately... I wasn't there, uh, but uh, I was brought up to speed uh, by my esteemed colleagues. <laughs> You've been there more than enough over the last 11 weeks. Uh, okay, well, we'll come to a few questions then. Um, we've had a few via DM, so uh, any and all that you want to send in, uh, please continue to do so. Uh, the one we have here, does the prosecution have to prove Jerry Hutch was a shooter in the Regency, or do they only have to show he was involved in the planning slash financing slash ordering the murder? So the prosecution's case is that Jerry Hutch was one of the team involved in the shooting. That's their case, and that is the case that they will have to prove. They don't have to prove that he was the shooter. Jonathan Dowdall alleges that Jerry Hutch told him that he shot David Byrne, and it'll be up to the judges if they want to accept that evidence. But the prosecution's overall case is that he was one of the team. 
they are not stating particularly which member of the team that he was. It's just that when they put all their evidence together and we've yet to hear their final arguments, they're going to argue that, I suppose, beyond a reasonable doubt, with all of the evidence that Jerry Hutch was there that day and that he was involved in it, uh, in terms of, you know, he discusses the yokes on the tapes, the allegation is the yokes of the AK-47s, um, and on the basis of his words on those tapes, and then the allegations made by Jonathan Dowdall, it's going to be their case that he was one of the team. But I don't think that they have to um, prove necessarily that he was the quote-unquote shooter to answer that to answer that question. I, I, I can't make any further comment beyond that. It's up to the judges. I keep saying that, but it really is up to the judges as to what they want to accept uh, in terms of the evidence and, and maybe what they may reject ultimately in making their decision. Yeah, we are considering retitling the podcast it's actually to too. It's up to the judges, <laughs> but you know, we shall see. Um, Catch all. Just, just one of my own. <laughs> it sure is. Um, it, it uh, it's just one of my own actually. While while we're on it, you know, you obviously hear kind of in these joint enterprise ideas when it comes to murder, the plannings of murder, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and uh, oftentimes in the UK and the US, for example, um, you're kind of seen as one and the same, whether you've sort of pulled the trigger yourself or not. The, the the maximum sentences that, say, Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy might be looking at uh, in relation to the charges that they're facing, do we have a rough idea of what they might be? You know what I mean? As in, are they facing potential, you know, life sentences or, or whatever it might be? Or is it tending to be significantly less than what Jerry Hutch might face if, he, uh, if he's found guilty? Yeah, so I, I believe the maximum penalty in relation to that is is life in prison, but it's hi- it's highly unlikely to uh, to be to be that. Um, you know, it's it's again, quote unquote, it's up to the judges. But uh, it, the 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 sentence, the headline sentence, maybe 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 reduced and then reduced beyond that, depending on mitigating factors. But obviously, it comes down to whether these individuals are even found guilty or not. But uh, you know, for for Jonathan Dowdall. Uh, guilty of facilitating a murder he got four years in prison now that's obviously uh, an exceptional example um but it, it's likely to be a a, a fixed prison sentence uh, rather than full-on life in prison okay very good um we have another one here and uh, you might just remind us of the kind of ins and outs of the person mentioned here um i have a quick question mickey Barr was shot at the sunrise bar was always uh, regarded as the man who'd supplied the assault rifles and was targeted for that reason but i've not heard one mention of him in the trial do you have any thoughts on that might just remind us first of all who mickey Barr was in relation to uh, michael Barr was a a a well-known um republican and uh he was a barman in the sunset house pub um and he was brutally murdered as part of the Kinnan Hutch feud um uh, and and basically <laughs> it, it look there is no evidence that I've ever been made aware of uh, that Michael Barr facilitated the weapons in the Regency or that Michael Barr was involved in the Regency hotel shooting but this is a good insight into how the Kinnahans operated at the time in 2016 because the Kinnahans acted without impunity they acted as judge jury and executioner they were hearing information as to who was alleged to have been involved in the regency hotel and they acted upon that they didn't care they didn't care whether it was true or false so the kinnahans arranged the murder of michael barr because they believed the information they were told in that he was involved in the murder 
we heard over the years the competing theories that he might have been involved in facilitating the weapons through his Republican contacts. And then there was also the even more serious allegation that he was one of the hit team, neither of which I don't think were ever proven. Um, so, uh, look, Michael Barr uh, is, as far as the law is concerned, was an innocent man. Uh, and he was brutally murdered. Now, uh, Mick would say this, and I'd say the same. No one deserves to be murdered, whether you're, quote-unquote, innocent or not. Uh, everyone in this feud was a victim. Michael Barr was a victim, and his family uh, did not deserve uh, such a fate. Um, uh, and it's important to state that I believe there was no evidence ever at any point uh, that he supplied the weapons or that he was involved in the shooting. Uh, perhaps there are theories out there that were investigated, um, but nothing has come to light in relation to that. The, the ultimate point is the Kinnahans decided in their minds he was guilty and they had him murdered, and that just shows you how they operate. Uh, he hasn't really been brought up in the trial. His father briefly was mentioned, uh, I think, in relation to a shooting that happened um, many years ago in relation to one of the people in, in that was mentioned on the tapes, but it's, it's not really uh, pertinent, relevant to this trial. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, here's another one, and um, we've kind of broached this uh, a couple of times before, so uh, forgive us if our, we're repeating ourselves. Uh, Paul, why isn't Patsy Hutch in any bother? Well, Patsy Hutch is not before this court. She's not charged with any criminal offence. But uh, yeah, there are lots of things that were said in this trial in relation to Patsy Hutch and his movements and uh, his alleged involvement in certain things. For example, Patsy Hutch uh, was in the Malahide Industrial Estate and met uh, with Shane Rowan, who was later caught with the AK-47 weapons that same day, the weapons that were used in the Regency Hotel. Uh, there's there's lots of mentions of Patsy Hutch throughout this trial. Um, I'll say it in more generalised terms. It's been indicated several times that maybe as a result of some of the evidence uh, in this case, that other individuals may one day face the court uh, and Jonathan Dowdall said that if Patsy Hutch is ever charged before the Special Criminal Court, that he will give evidence and testify against him. But at the moment, at this juncture, Patsy Hutch uh, is not charged with anything. Um, there, there's, there were information, there's information in relation to Mago Gately as well, James Mago Gately, a Hutch associate. I mean, Jonathan Dowdall claims that Jerry Hutch told him that he and, and Mago uh, carried out the shooting at the Regency. So obviously that has to be taken seriously. I'm sure it's being investigated, but at this current juncture, uh, they're not charged in, in relation to anything. Uh, I would watch and see what happens as a result of this trial. Uh, if there is a, a conviction, if there is a guilty verdict, it'll be very interesting to see on the basis of that, the evidence before this court could be used against other people in the future. But I think pending the outcome of this trial, now that's just my own speculation. God knows what could happen and what, what might be being considered by Gardy and ultimately the DPP. Um, but yeah, it's a good, uh, a very good question. Yeah. Well, speaking of the outcome of the trial, we have another one here via Twitter. Uh, if Jerry Hutch is cleared of the charges and found innocent or rather not guilty, I should say, uh, what's next for him? Does he have to disappear again or can he? He's still a wanted man by many, I presume. So what could the future of freedom hold for him? What do you think? I think it'll be a difficult life for Jerry Hutch, no matter what happens, and it has been. Uh, Jerry Hutch is, you know, no matter what, no matter what you might think, his life was torn asunder. Uh, you know, his his brother was murdered. He lost nephews in this feud, and he became a target of the Kinnahan cartel. Now, the only thing that's changed in the last few years is that the Kinnahans are now the ones being hunted uh, by authorities across the the globe, the Spanish, uh, the U.S. 
uh, ourselves and um, and God knows who else. And Daniel Kinahan is very much distracted at the moment. And look, the feud, it, you'd be in a spot of bother if you said the feud was over because it probably never really is over. Um, and, and Jerry Hutch probably does still remain a target. Um, I don't anticipate that he would stay in the jurisdiction. It'd be crazy if he did. Uh, he, he had already long left the jurisdiction and had a life for himself in Spain and in other countries. He'll probably move abroad again and probably would have to remain abroad for the rest of his life. Now, he can do whatever he wants if he's found uh, not guilty. He's a free citizen. Um, you know, he has a family. Uh, so, you know... Yeah, I, I, it's a tough question to speculate, but you can, you can only, to, you can only really state state the facts. The facts are that that you know there was an attempt on his life in Lanzarote in two thousand and fifteen, at the start of this feud. He got away very narrowly, uh, with 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 his own life, um, and I'm sure that he is very much aware that there are individuals who would still want to cause him harm. So yeah, his life is forever changed by this, no matter what happens. Okay, Paul, well, listen, thanks a million for everything today. Um, thank you for your three-quarters day in court. Uh, hopefully, this won't be uh, the start of you slacking off the rest of the, <laughs> the trial. Uh, <laughs> no, no, good. I'll be back there at uh, really 11 a.m. sharp tomorrow, and we'll hopefully have <laughs> another full update for you tomorrow. You surely will. You surely will. Said with, uh, said with the venom that it was deserved. <laughs> Le- listen, lovely to talk to you. Uh, thanks a million for today, and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you.